Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. They have no life. They have no relationships with their kids. All they care about is, oh, I made money in 72. The guy is a fat, ugly piece of shit, most of the you know? <laughs> yeah. That's what they are. Now you got people like him, and then you got the other people that don't make a living, that have four fucking jobs, kill themselves to make their fucking 2,000 a week so they can live on Long Island. And it's disheartening, and it kills people. That's what kills them. That is so similar to what's happening in, our, in society today. We got a gangster running America, a group yeah. of gangsters running America. And, you know, I, I did think, you know, at the time, nobody would ever believe in a movie like this could become true. <laughs> Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and this episode, I'm not exactly sure what to say about it. So I think probably, first of all, let me say this. If you are easily offended, don't listen. If you have children within 10 miles of you, don't listen. If you are a Republican, don't listen. If curse words bother you, don't listen. Okay? I can't emphasize the disclaimer enough. Now, here's the story. About, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, I'm at the Delano Hotel in Miami, and I see this guy who's telling stories in the pool, kind of like this this, uh, New York Jewish guy. Let's call it what it is, right? And after a couple of cocktails, I said, I have never laughed my ass off harder. I don't know who this guy is, but oh my God, he's hysterical, vile, offensive. But I love him. Like, I just, I love him. Following year, I'm in Mykonos and I hear the same voice. And I'm like, there's no way this is possible. There's no way. Like, there's no way this is the same guy. There he is. He's dancing it up. A year later, I'm in the crown room at JFK, getting ready to go to Europe. And who do I see? I see him there again. His name is Wayne Diamonds. Wayne Diamonds is known as the Garmento. In the 70s and 80s, he dominated the women's dresses and jumpsuit market. For for those New York people, it's the schmata business. 
And he made his fortune. He cashed out at over $100 million and just decided that he was going to have fun. Well, as luck would have it, one thing led to another, and he ran into the Safdie brothers who created the new Adam Sandler movie in the West Village a few years ago. And they fell in love with him the way I did. And they said, hey, we'd love to have you in some of our rock videos. So in this interview, there was almost nothing that I was able to do to control this interview. I had to be myself, laugh, try and beg, borrow, and steal to get a question in. And then in the end, I had to ask his, uh, his PR person who was setting this up for us, how in the world she does this. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna leave this interview exactly as it was. I'm not gonna edit it. I'm not gonna apologize for it. I am going to just give you the raw, unedited, my wife is looking at me like, are you sure you wanna do this? I'm gonna give you the raw and unedited Wayne Diamond interview. And if you dare, Go on Instagram and follow The Wayne Diamond. So I'm going to leave it there. Hope you enjoy this. Oh, by the way, we had trouble with the technology. So I had to record it um, on my iPhone. So it literally is just a telephone. It's like a telephone call-in show. So everything went wrong with this interview and everything went right all at the same time. But I am going to be unapologetic as they say for the interview. Hope you like it. Sorry about the long ramble intro. Wayne, welcome to the show. It's fucking great to be here, baby. You know, I am so excited to do this interview, and here's why. I believe in signs. One year, I'm swimming at the Delano Pool in Miami, and we meet. The next year... I'm in Mykos, Mykonos at Namos, and I meet again. The following year, I'm in the crown room at JFK, and I run into you again. Now I see the new Adam Sandler movie, and I see you again. So I believe in signs. Now, the movie was the most insane thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, Adam Sandler, Sabo, the Fatty Brothers, Ronald Bronstein, Julia, everybody in this fucking movie was the best. I mean... The greatest, the greatest, the greatest crew of all time. All right, well, listen, we're going to start. I want to start at the beginning because I think a good sure, jumping off place would be to wind the clock back to grow, growing up in Long Island in the 70s. Now, your parents, they were both educators, but that was not, Remember that. I do, but that was not the path that you chose to go into. Where did you get your business drive from? Because you didn't get it from your parents. Yes, I actually, I actually did. My parents were school teachers. Yeah. You ever try to live on three, six thousand dollars a year with two of them working? My father had like nine jobs, so oh, I had okay. to get in there and help out. You know, I was under the gun. I was the oldest child. I was under the gun, and uh, you know, I, I had met my last about five years before. You know, when I was going to college and. Uh, and then I worked at a garment center as a shipping clerk. And then I, you know, making money. I was gave it to my parents. And when I started to like do well, I, you know, when I started to kill myself, I called Meyer up on the phone. I said, I'm ready to go. And he put me in business with a guy called Murray Oliphant. 
and we rocked and roll. And I did like uh, I was I was on fire. And I walked out one day with the books, and I opened up my own company. There was no, fucking Mur- Murray. <laughs> Murray was the seamstress. Is that right? No, Murray was the partner. He was an old guy. Like there was also five foot one. You know, and there were yeah. all the all the gangster Jews were five one. What, like, yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was a prerequisite to be a Jew that was a gangster to be five foot one. That's the bottom line, you know. <laughs> I just have this. I have this vision of James Con. Well, James Con is like uh, not. He would not be a. He's too tall to be a Jewish guy. He's Jewish, but he could be a Jewish gangster. You're thinking about the gambler, right? And the gambler were uh, yeah, the Godfather. But either one. What was it? Well, I was going to say, Wayne, what was it that attracted you to the garment business? Like, why did you get into that? Because you weren't raised that way. We all like women, baby, right? I like to clothes women. I want women looking good. So I said, you know, I saw all these guys. I mean, there's this guy, Alan Schwartz, and I knew his accountant. I saw what he was making a year. I said, this is the right place for me. I was making in the old days like a million a year. I said, this is fucking great. I mean, it took me till I was 24 to make my first mill there. You know, it was a, it was a great business. It was a business that you make a lot of money if you work 24 seven. Could you do today, that the business doesn't today? Exist. It doesn't exist. Today, the business don't exist. There's no more garment center. You see the way they All dress right. out there. You want to vomit? You see the way these women dress? You puke. It's you terrible. Fucking puke I know. The way they just and the men they dress even worse. I mean, with their striped shirts, their khaki pants. I mean, it's like, it's, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. I mean, there's no money in it anymore. People don't care. They look like shit. And it's the bottom line. I mean, you know, uh, you know, it's all about, uh, I think, uh, perversion and stuff. You know, people are on their computers. They jerk it off. They really, they really don't care about uh, dress up anymore. You know, they're, they're too busy, uh, they already had their orgasm. Why the hell meet a girl? Why go out? You know what I mean? Why, why, why do any of that? So they, they don't, really don't care. They, it's not in their uh, self-interest. They, they look good anymore. And the girls, what do they do? They go to H&M. They spend $20. They buy one of those stretch dresses. They get out of their office sweating like shit. They put the dress on. They don't even take a fucking shower. They go to a club with their girlfriends. And then basically they hang with their girlfriends. They don't even look like a lady. You know what I mean? It's what's going on today. I mean, I see it. All my friends are like 25 to 45. <laughs> it's pathetic. That's why we don't have enough, uh, guys. you know, I mean, nobody gets pregnant. There's no kids. I mean, we got a, a nun generation here. A nun generation. I don't even I call think, these the millennials. I call it the nun generation. I think you're right. Robin, where, did, <laughs> where did the name Garmento come from? Well, I mean, I was in a garment center. And, uh, you know, I felt like I always, I was a Jew, but I always felt like I was like a diet, but became Garmento, you know, it ended in an O, so, you know, basically I think that's, that's where it came from. They gave me that name because that was a Jew that was like a garment, garment guy, and, you know, I wanted to be a diet, so they called me the Garmento. I love that. All right, so now, now you're in the garment district, you're making money, hand over fist, you're, you're neighbors with Oprah, you're golfing with OJ, you're hanging with Steve Rubell, Ian Schrager, and for those no, that no, don't I'm know... Not, I'm not, stop there, stop there. Stop there. No. Ian Schrager, no problem. Steve Rubell, 
nothing to do with him. Oh, really? He was right. fucking uh, the, my lawyer. They both got A's and died. I mean, it was gone. Uh, my lawyer was, uh, you know, I don't want to mention that. Donald Trump's favorite uh, person that he follows in his footsteps. I think, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You're talking about Cohen? Yeah. Now, you know, a lot of people have heard of him, but I can't think of one person that I know who, rep- who represented them in a divorce. What was that like? It was a two-day situation, and if I would have gone along with him and what he said I had, what I should do and how I should do it, I would never get a chance. I would never have gotten a chance to see my uh, child ever again. I mean, this guy was a freaking animal. He didn't give a shit. He thought that nobody had any emotions at all. Well, you know, I look very similar to Donald Trump. I'm yeah. A non-emotional person. And, uh, you know, that was it. Bottom line, I got rid, of, got rid of him after two days. I gave that ex-wife of mine everything, all my money, everything in the house. And that was it. I mean, you know, easy way. I was only like 24, 25 years old, or 26, whatever. It really didn't make any difference to me anyway. She came out good. Right, but listen, your your wife now, you've been married to Helen for 40 years and you have four children. Right, so right? what are you going to fucking remind me? Come on, Rob. Listen, I got enough problems with my penis. I mean, leave me alone with this. Listen, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I'm yeah, going to tell you. Well, uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. You are in love with your wife. You have four children, and we're going to get into your children in a second. But I first want to ask you, what is the secret to being married for 40 years? Uh, wearing glasses. Very strong <laughs> uh, You know, wearing earplugs. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you know, doing your own thing. You know, it's not easy. It's not easy. I mean, listen, Helen is the greatest. I mean, there's no doubt about it. She takes. She's my chauffeur. I mean, since I I got rid of my my other chauffeur, she does all the driving. She does everything. I mean, this fucking woman does everything. Does the has the cleaning done. They, I gave her all the money. She takes care of everything. She's a financial person now. So she does everything, and I go out and I have fun. That's the bottom line. That's the uh, key to a good marriage. All right, now I want to talk about the kids. Your children, they oh, were yeah. raised, listen, they were raised with privilege. And... No, they, no, they no, no, not like you think. I mean, they were raised, I mean, they went to Wheatley, uh, most of them, went, three of them went to Wheatley School, great school. And uh, the other one went to Oceanside High School, Erica. Yeah. And uh, they weren't, uh, the only thing they were embarrassed about was being driven by my driver every day to school in a Rolls Royce for years. Till they grew up, you know, that was the only thing they had. That was the only privilege they had. They're not. They're not. They're, you know, my kids are more into the arts than they're into money. They're not. Where did uh, they go to college? Where did they go to college? Uh, Yale, University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, Vanderbilt, Duke. You know, a few, like, of, the, a few of the worst schools in America. You know. I mean, listen. That's uh, well, people, people could say what they want. They could meet you, and they could say, "This guy's out of his mind." But I don't. I look and I say he's crazy like a fox. He's got a wife that he loves. He's married for 40 years. He's got children that went to Harvard and Yale. He's crazy successful. And more than that, he lives a happier life than anybody I've ever met in person. Listen, people work their whole life and they want to make a bunch of money. They want to cash out with their millions. 
What was it like for you the day you got the big check when you sold your business? What was going through your mind? What was going through my mind? I was depressed. I didn't want to give up my business. I was kind of depressed. I lived five. I lived a few years in Old Westbury after that. I, yeah. it, there's nothing exciting about getting up your business. There's nothing exciting. But I know the business was over. It was, it, it was no more dress manufacturing business. Even in Europe, I mean, even in, uh, there was no money in the fucking thing anymore. So I said, that's it. I'm out. I was going crazy. My health was getting bad for the business. You know, you know when, you, when you're not making money and you're trying to make a little bit of money to keep your people alive, it's a stress. And I cared about the people at work. I mean, they were with me a lot of years. So I stayed in business an extra two years so that they could make enough money. They, you know, when they left, I didn't have enough money, you know? Yeah. But it was, it, was rough. it was rough. It's a rough thing. You never want to do that. And, you know, you know, retirement was a tough thing. And I retired a lot, a lot of years ago, about 25 years ago. And then I got into this thing about going to school, taking literature courses, history courses, a lot of acting courses. And I started to get into this shit. And I really liked it. You know, I, I did it as a kid. And uh, I like being with all these kids, you know? I mean, you learn more from the kids than you do from these old fuckers. All they talk about is money, you know? And these kids talk about interesting things. They were at top of everything. And, you know, the teachers are great. And uh, I, had, I learned a lot. And I got into acting, you know, not on a, not on a, not for a living, but just have a good time and have fun with it. Well, we're going to get into acting in a second, but I want to ask you a couple other questions before we get into that. So in 2000, you retired. Now, here's my question. People are spending their whole lives, they're working, they're working, they're working because they want to make a bunch of money. What advice would you give for people that are killing themselves to make money? There's two different kinds of killing yourself. I got friends of mine, jerk offs that are 72 years old. The only thing they got to talk to me about is, oh, what a year I had. I go to them and I tell them, go fuck yourself and die, you schmuck. They have no life. They have no relationships with their kids. All they care about is, oh, I made money at 72. The guy is a fat, ugly piece of shit. You know? (laughs) That's what they are. You know what? They can't go to a restaurant and look good. They can't go out and put a suit on. They look like they got a big jacket. I don't want to say this. This guy's family. He's a big, fat fuck. And he goes out and he thinks, oh, I'm a billionaire now. I look at the guy and I can't him now. He said, and it's enough to make me show you. I, I get sick when I see him. Because it's a, what, what good is that shit? And his kids are all busy. The kids all come and sit around him. You know what? They sit around them because they're waiting for him to die to get the fucking money so they can drive around, you know. This is a cheap motherfucker. Now you got people like him, and then you got the other people that don't make a living, that have four fucking jobs, kill themselves to make their fucking 2000 a week so they can live on Long Island. And then they hear their neighbors sit there. You know, the kids go out, they work, and they get like three, four $400,000. They go to Goldman Sachs to start. And it's disheartening. It kills people. That's what kills them. It's the jealousy, the envy, and starving to death. Not having the things that the next guy's got, you know. I yep. thought I had everything, and I did. I had everything. I had good children, good wife, you know, and I had a good life, and I still do. I mean, I do everything. I, I if I had a billion dollars, I couldn't do anything more than I do. I, I live like a billionaire my whole life. So you know, bottom line is, fuck them, fuck these fat fucking old fucking people that are looking for dollars, you know. Well, listen, you the locations that you spend your time in. Is crazy. You spend your summer in Europe. 
You've got 15 yes. days a month in Miami. You're still at the right. Delano, I think. Is that right? Yeah, only the Delano. That's the idiot. I meet the you know what people don't know this shit. The richest, the, but they're not the Europeans. But they're rich. They're not like they're not like these motherfuckers that live in Long Island. These yeah. people though, they want to share their wealth. They, they they don't know what to do for you. You know, I mean, it's great. All my friends, they're like, God knows what they got, but they enjoy their lives. They 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 start they not they started when they do a business. It's like a slow thing. They don't give a shit. That's why they're so successful over there. Yeah, they, they, you know, to, to make the minimum, they kill themselves. I mean, I, I love Europe. I love fucking Europe. I mean, I love America, but I mean, I, I, I really don't love America. I love New York. I mean, you know, I'm a New Yorker. Yeah. I, I mean, if you want to call me an American, it's sort of like going a little far out there. I'm a fucking New Yorker. That's what I am. I talk like a New Yorker, and I like Europe. I like the Delano. I don't like Miami too much, but I like the Delano. I go to these other places in Miami. They go, they go to the place, it costs them 10000 a night, these stupid friends of mine. So they invite me to their pool, come with me to my pool. There's two people there, two fucking old fucking ladies, 90 years old, breastfeeding. Their dog. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Because the dog in their chest, the dog is sucking on their chest. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever I go back to the Delano, there's 400 people there in a pool, screaming, yelling, drinking all around my age, having a good fucking time. I mean, this is what I've got to like. You've got to find the right place. That's the key. You've got to find the place to be in life, you know? These people, what they think, they go to the best place. It's like Hotel the Crap. You ever go to Hotel the Crap? No. Hotel the Crap is the, yeah, the, it's in your Hotel the Crap. We went there. Have you got that? I ate there. I vomited for the food. Food sucked. The people sucked. Bunch of Wall Street guys with khaki pants, with t-shirts on. They're ugly motherfuckers. The women were shit, except for the Russian hookers. The only savior to Europe are the Russian hookers. Because they look good. They're very pretty, very hot, adorable. I mean, I wonder why we got poop money in America. I mean, look. Got all the best women in the world there. I mean, you know, a Russian hook is the greatest thing in the world. You sit there smoking this, they really get done yet. You know what I mean? They know what they, they want the money. They want the fucking money. They're good. They're good. All right. Listen, I, now we're, now, now we're going to round the corner to what we're here for. Tell me the story of how you met the Safdie brothers in the West Village and how that led ultimately to you being in the Adam Sandler movie, Uncut Gems. No, it was easy. I mean, I was doing a lot of movies. I was doing a lot of videos shit, for the Safries. I met, I met uh, Sabo and his father in a bar about 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And they, had, they were just starting out in life. And uh, I loved I loved our Sabo. I mean, he's the best. Man, you know, he's, he's a great guy. He's married to that uh, McClara, whatever her name is. She's very, very pretty. Very sweet girl. I liked her a lot. And, and I, I met, they weren't married then, but I met the father... And him, and they were just wonderful. We met each other. I was drunk. And uh, we walked out together, and we talked, and he took my phone number down, and I took his number down. And I got a phone call from him about, uh, about eight weeks later. You want to do a video, uh, a music video? I said, I got nothing better to fucking do. I'm retired. I'm retarded. It was like more retarded than retired. I said, okay. Yeah. So I, I started doing a lot of music videos for them. A rock star. I was very skinny then, about, uh, about 12 years ago. So I was doing this. I was doing these videos for them, and then I did a couple of short. They did some short movies or some shit I did for them. I was in with them, and then I did. Uh, we did radio. We had a radio show. 
I was on their radio show a few times with Sabo, with Josh, you know. And yeah. Josh's brother was, you know, not, not, I, was not, I didn't know him as well. He's a great guy. I mean, I met him. I mean, now I know him. But that's why he was like, I guess, younger or whatever. And then, uh, then about six years ago, I, I you know, I did, I found the email. They emailed me, and I mean, to come down, they had a big part for me in a, in a, in a movie. And I, I thought, I thought it was a charge call. I didn't even get back to them. So that was, that was, uh, two years ago. You know, I look up Sabo, let me see this, but there must be a million fucking texts from him for different things to do, you know? And I, I, I really don't know how to use an email, as you can see, when I try to get connected with you. It's not one of my, uh, it's number one on my list. I don't give a shit. So, uh, I missed out on a lot of stuff with them. But, listen, listen, I, I got this part. It was nice. We had a great time and great people. I mean, they're, they're geniuses. It was good. I mean, these guys are really working. I mean, this is not like some schmuck on Wall Street. These are guys that know their business. They're like garments and the guys like, I knew how to make so dress. I knew how to do a marker. I knew how to look over a pad. They know everything. They know everything from the boom, for the sound. They know everything from the editing. And they know the business from the bottom up. And that's what you got to know. That's why America is Most of America is pretty shitty today. The people are morons. I mean, you know, they don't know business from the bottom up. They start from the top down. And they destroy all these uh, great people from Mexico and uh, Ecuador and you know, these stupid kids, they're stupid. They're, 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 it's, it's a different world. I mean, you know, what we, are these kids are the kids that are make it big. You can't stop from the top down. You stop from the bottom up, and that's what they did. And they're terrific. They're just terrific. I love them all. Well, what was it like for you? I mean, like, it's got to be surreal when you walk on the set and Adam Sandler's there and the staff people. Was that, were you just yeah, like, 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 like uh, we're all, we're a family, man. That's what these sassies do. They make everybody like a family. I mean, I, I, I'm so, I, I feel like, I, I, you know, I can't wait for the next movie because I feel I'm away from the family, you know? Wow. It was great being with these guys. That's how it felt for everybody, even Adam. Adam's a sweetheart. I mean, the nicest guy in the world, great actor. I mean, that guy went through more shit in that movie than anybody. The sassies beat the shit out of him to do, do this, do that. And they, they take, every scene they take is like 40 times. They go nuts. They, Forty fucking times the same scene. Turn your head to the left, right. I memorized four hundred fucking lines. By the time I got done with the first scene, I didn't remember one of them. I swear to God, it's fucking nuts. I mean, I felt like Harvey Keitel. I, I did. I, I, Harvey once told me that, uh, "Hey, don't worry about the lines, kid. Just do the fucking narrative. You'll know what to do." He's right. If you worry, most of these movies today. I mean. You got to know the part. If you know the part, you're the person. I was this weird kid in the movie, you know? The weird guy, you know? I mean, I was like a, a, a cartoon character. It was a lot of fun. Do you get nervous at all? No, no. I never get nervous over anything. I don't get nervous. I get nervous like right. popping out of the You know what I mean? I, <laughs> yeah. right, I want to talk to you about stand-up. You're starting to do stand-up now. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, this morning... I did a I did a podcast with uh, with Michelle uh, Collins, the Jewish chick from a big. I mean, she's six feet one. I mean, I felt like a little boy. It was great. I was on a show with a young chick, very pretty, six foot one. Wow, incredible! And she's a comedian, very funny, and uh, she does stand up too. She had me in a show, and she was laughing her ass off. We had a lot of fun this morning. A lot of fun. And a lot of fun. Two days ago, I did the Smooch show. You know, Smooch, 
Yep. Boosh, whatever his fucking name is, yep. a little guy. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, 
Excuses are over. It's time to live.